Welcome to the Jongets Games Podcast, where in today's episode, you'll be hearing the audio from the questions and answers vlog that was recorded live in May of 2021. Now, I have gone through and edited the live broadcast down to just what I thought were the most relevant questions, and those will be the ones you'll be hearing today. Now, I do want to mention, as always, that the reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support that comes in through the Patreon campaign for the channel. If you enjoy listening to my vlogs in podcast form like this, then I do hope that you would consider directly supporting the channel, and you can learn more about that by going to patreon.com slash Games. The final thing I'd like to ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you leave those as a comment on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. Uh, all right. Uh, James C. asks, what are the best two games of the first half of this year? Um, well, I mean, the games that have been, I guess the games that have been grabbing me the most um, are Cube Rails games over the last few months, for sure. And the two at the top of that pile are Iberian Gage and Trans-Siberian Railroad. Uh, I think I like Trans-Siberian slightly more than Iberian Gage, but those games have really grabbed me. So there you go. <laughs> That's a pretty easy answer right there. Uh, those are both games I'm looking forward to playing a bunch more. Rishi asks, how's the puppy doing? Uh, <laughs> Puffin's doing great. Uh, hey, there she is now. Here she is. <laughs> I'll keep her on camera just for a second. She's doing great. She's a little over two years old now. Um, she uh, tolerates it when I pick her up. I pick her up all the time, and she uh, she's so cuddly, it's really hard not to. Um, but yeah, she's um, a great little dog. She hangs out with me in this recording space um, a lot. Uh, as I'm recording things, she's just chilling out there and, yeah, you want to get down? That's totally fine, little lady. Um, but yeah, um, I've loved having her around. Take her for a walk most days, and it's a great excuse to get out of the house. So yeah, um, Puffin is an exceptional dog. Uh, no complaints. <laughs> uh, Rishi asks, how... Uh, caution are you about snacks and food around your games as an example if you would host a game evening at home with your friends I'm pretty loose if I'm being honest I don't put my games on a pedestal uh, and that's been the case since long before Jongit's games uh, existed um, there's a great uh, example of this actually on the YouTube channel that I had for years before Jongit's games uh, it's called John Gets Bored and I mostly started that channel because I did some time lapses of playing Eclipse with my friends back in like 2010. And there is one in particular where um, you're watching the game unfold and everything and you can see the snacks just all over the table. There's like cups full of uh, Cheez-Its and there's uh, dip and there's uh, I think some oranges and they're kind of moving around the table. The bowls are just magically disappearing in the time lapse. So yeah, that's uh, uh, proof right there that I don't mind having drinks and food around the table. Over the last, like, 14 years, I've only had a couple catastrophic failures as far as uh, damage to games. And if I'm being honest, almost all of those happened after a couple of glasses of wine. <laughs> uh, one of them on a camping trip on a table that was a little bit slanted. And, uh, yeah, definitely some alcohol involved there. Um, that was our copy of uh, Emerald, I think. It got pretty wined. And uh, one of my, my copy of Stone Age about 10 years ago had a whole glass of wine dumped on it as well. These things can happen. Um, I think we patted them down and continued to play with those games. So yeah, I'm not too precious. I like snacking. I like uh, being in a situation where my friends feel comfortable snacking. And it's worth noting the people I play with aren't being gross with the games. <laughs> We're not having like uh, Cheetos and stuff on our fingers. Uh, Cheez-Its are fine. A little salt is uh, totally fine to get on the game. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how we are at. Um, we're there to have fun, and that involves the entire social atmosphere, and for us, that usually involves drinking and uh, eating snacks. Uh, James C. asks, what's the best non-table game accessory? 
Um, I don't use game accessories all that often, uh, but the one that probably gets used the most is just um, bowls that I put bits in. Um, if you've watched my uh, uh, tutorials, you'll probably recognize these bowls right here. I've got four of them, and uh, we picked these up from, I believe, a Daiso, which is a... Um, dollar kind of store uh, many years ago. And I wish we'd got more than four. I wish we had like six or eight of them because they were very cheap and they are just an amazing bit bowl. Um, I like having bowls for all of these kind of things. And in fact, I have another type way over here when I need more. Uh, this is um, a type that's a little bit deeper, so it's not as ideal a bit bowl, but I picked these up at Costco, uh, or we did, and I think we got a set of like eight of them for about 10 bucks. Um, so these sometimes make an appearance as well. So yeah, in general, I just think that having good bit bowls to hold your stuff so it's not scattered all over the place, and so that you can like hand somebody a bowl of something like uh, money and they can make their change, is just better than people needing to lean across all over the place. So um, I'm definitely a fan of bit bowls, and Whenever I see new ones that I think will work, I oftentimes jump on it. Philip asks, what would you consider a great worker placement game to get into the mechanic? My wife and I play a lot of games, but haven't gotten into worker placement much. Well, I mean, my first reaction is Stone Age because that was my first worker placement game and it definitely pulled me into um, a lot of those type of games. Um, that is a game where you have workers, but you also get new workers. So that has that sort of mechanic going. Also, when you go onto most of the places, you block those spots from other people. Um, there's also some other interesting things going on with uh, particular places where you roll dice uh, based off of the number of workers that are there, and then you get resources. And so there is a really interesting to think about when you're playing the game of how many workers do I put down on this spot? Uh, because obviously you're blocking those locations from your opponents, but if you overcommit, then you can't do the other things that you need on your turn. Uh, so I think that, um, yeah, I'll stick with Stone Age as a great uh, recommendation. I have no idea how available it is these days, uh, but uh, that is a really good way to um, uh, explore that mechanic and a lot of the ways that you see in many other games as well uh, in a game that's very good and also um, not too uh, overloaded with rules. Ryan asks, how are the shirt and hoodie sales? The design is amazing and I'm always seeing comments about them. I love my hoodie. Thank you for getting one. I'm glad you uh, like the hoodie. Um, the sales are going really well. Um, actually, I can tell you uh, about 37 <laughs> at a rough count. Actually, no, there's another page. Oh my gosh. Wow, if I add everything up, that's kind of crazy. There have been like 40 or uh, uh, maybe even 45 that have sold. I don't want to spend too much time uh, looking at it. Um, so that's great, uh, considering I think about 10 of the previous shirts were sold. Uh, so that's really exciting to see. I'm glad you like the, the hoodie because I like it as well. I will admit that it is uh, expensive. The hoodie was more expensive than I was expecting. Um, uh, I got mine at cost, which is not that much less than the price that's up there on the the, uh, the store, but I'm glad that you enjoy it. Uh, I, I'm really happy to see people enjoying the, um, the design. Uh, so far, the uh, revenue I've gotten from selling these has not quite got to the point where it pays for the amount I paid the artist for the design, but that's totally fine. Again, I, I decided to do this as a bit of a, fan service instead of a way to make a bunch of money, because that's definitely uh, not my focus when it comes to the merch. Uh, Andy asks, uh, do I have any thoughts on Mosaic? Your tutorial uh, convinced me to back the Kickstarter and it looks great. Uh, yeah, I have some thoughts about Mosaic. Um, first of all, you know, I was sponsored to make a playthrough for that one, so keep all of that in mind. Uh, the second caveat is that I've not actually played a full game. Uh, the, uh, the amount of Mosaic that I played was all recorded in that tutorial, so about half of a game, and it was obviously a structured, uh, not 
totally authentic play. But I will say that I recorded more of that tutorial than I expected. I actually got to the point where I taught in, uh, all of the mechanics and I did a little wrap up like, you know, you know, that's going to finish the tutorial. Thanks for watching, etc. And then I went to lunch and I remember I was sitting there at lunch thinking, I'm not done with this game. Like, I want to see more of what happens. So actually, after lunch, I went back, turned the camera back on again, and recorded another hour, which turned into about another 25 more minutes. Um, so everything recorded from the 45 minute on was essentially bonus that I recorded because I was enjoying playing the game so much. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Um, I was uh, genuinely a little bit bummed that I had to mail this one on. Uh, actually sent my copy over to Heavy Cardboard and they just got it, um, I think yesterday or today. Uh, so I'm looking forward to watching their full playthrough of the copy that I sent over to them because I would like to see a more organic play of this myself. Um, I was really intrigued by the mechanics. Uh, I definitely like Civ style games in general, especially ones that do not lean heavily into military combat uh, and you know positioning of units and uh, Mosaic does not do any of that. It's very much about engine building, which I enjoy. So I am uh, quite excited for the game. I'm like cautiously excited, if that makes sense. Like I'm not screaming about it from the hilltops, but uh, this is one that I want to play. And supposedly there's going to be a Tabletopia implementation of it going out um, very soon. And um, I've already talked to some friends and we are going to try to make a game of that happen, be uh, mostly because I am so intrigued to see how it feels in an organic uh, gameplay experience. So there you go. <laughs> I haven't actually got to the point of backing the Kickstarter campaign myself, but I am certainly thinking about it. Um, it's possible I could get a press copy from the publisher. I'm not really sure about that. Um, I could certainly ask, but either way, that's kind of where I'm at with Mosaic. I really liked what I saw, and I'm looking forward to uh, getting um, at least one play of this in, as well as potentially watching uh, other playthroughs of it. Smallotry asks, um, uh, have you played any Splatter games? Which ones did you enjoy? Uh, so Splatter games, uh, Splatter is a publisher who has published uh, many games in the past, um, several which I can think off the top of my head. And I've played a couple of them. Let's see. So they did Roads and Boats a long time ago, which I've not tried yet. Um, they did Antiquity, which I have played once, but that was in 2011 or 2010, something like that. So it's been a very long time since I played Antiquity. Um, I remember it is an expansive game, lots of tokens, lots of little stacks of tokens that you almost need tweezers to move around. And I remember enjoying the game, but being very overwhelmed by it. And I never came back to it. The person who had that copy ended up moving away shortly after I played it. And um, I've never tried to make another play of it happen. Um, I have played Food Chain Magnate several times, I think three times or so, uh, because a good friend of mine does own that one. And I enjoyed the experience overall, but not enough to keep coming back to it. Um, it's a little too cutthroat and a little too, um, well, I guess just cutthroat. Um, it's a game about running a small business. And a big part of that is pricing your uh, food so that people will buy your stuff instead of other people's. And there were just a couple too many times playing that game where I had a good plan and then somebody came in at one money less than mine and suddenly all my food rotted and they got all their money. Um, a lot of people like that in games, but I found uh, Food Chain Magnet to be a little bit more cutthroat than I wanted. Um, I guess those are the only two spotter games that I've played at this point. I've heard really good things about Indonesia um, and uh, as well as others. I'm having a hard time thinking of them off the top of my head. Um, Splatter is definitely a company that I don't shy away from trying. I just haven't had that many opportunities to try their games. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely uh, curious to try more in the future, although I think I've only played two of them. Heather asks, uh, we just got 
uh, dominant species marine based off of your recent tutorial video, is the original dominant species different enough that it's worth picking up as well? Um, it's significantly different. I will definitely say that. Uh, the big difference between the two, and I'm just going to assume um, that um, anybody listening to this has a general idea of these games, is that the worker placement is uh, significantly different. In the original dominant species, you have workers and you place them out onto a ton of different options. And once everybody has placed all of their tokens, you then perform each of those actions in order. So you have a programming uh, type of analysis to do, and then you actually perform all of these things and hope that you put your workers down in a good order to do the things that you want to do and that your opponents don't screw up your plans. In uh, Dominant Species Marine, you place a worker and immediately perform that action. Then place another worker and immediately perform that action so it doesn't have the programming aspect to it. Also, the original Dominant Species plays up to six players. Um, I have played the original at the six player count at least once and it was a very epic experience. I remember uh, one of those six player games took about six hours, so not a quick game. Um, and I enjoyed it, but not enough to keep it around. Whereas as Dominant Species Marine, I think, is one I'm going to keep around. It plays up to four players, so it has a lower player count, and I definitely prefer the uh, tweaks that Marine brings into the worker placement uh, because it's just a little bit less overhead to think about. It's still a pretty uh, chaotic game uh, for its length, but also there's like a short play variant in Marine that I think I'll probably gravitate towards playing. So if you love Marine and you're sitting there saying, I wish there was more to think about, then maybe consider Dominant Species the original version, but um, since you already own Marine, I think just play that one a bunch and see uh, how you feel about it. Uh, for me, Marine replaces the original, uh, but that's not going to be the case for everybody. Uh, Jinrei asks, what are your favorite snacks? Uh, I'm going to assume that question is in the context of board gaming, and I will say... Uh, this is pretty easy, uh, uh, Cheez-Its. <laughs> Cheez-Its are eaten uh, uh, very quickly in our household. Uh, if it's just me and Jess, a box of Cheez-Its will go surprisingly fast. And if we have people over for games, you know, we'll do big uh, bowls of it and uh, big boxes. Oftentimes we'll have some and other people will bring it in and they rarely survive the game night. Uh, we're just really big fans <laughs> of that specific snack. I like chips as well, but um, chips can sometimes leave your fingers a little bit oily, which isn't super great for uh, playing games. But something about Cheez-Its. They're salty, there's a little bit of oil to them, but they're dry enough that they seem to make a really good game night snack. They're pretty salty, which means you're going to be drinking a lot, but, you know, that's just uh, uh, pushes me into, you know, trying different beers and whatnot, which I enjoy as a snack as well. So, there you go. Cheez-Its are the number one around here. Uh, Coco Ben asks, what is my favorite Tiny Epic game? Uh, so uh, they're uh, referring to the Tiny Epic series. There's a ton of games in that series now. It started off with Tiny Epic Kingdoms a very long time ago, which I did back on Kickstarter, that original one. Uh, had no idea what that would all turn into. Um, I think my favorite Tiny Epic game at this point, after trying most of them, is Tiny Epic Galaxies, which, which is actually, I think, the third one to come out. There have been a ton that have come out since then. Um, I think that Tiny Epic Galaxies is a really good example of um, a dice uh, uh, game where you're like rolling dice and utilizing diff the different pips on them. You can manipulate the dice and you can do a little bit of engine building in front of you. I think it's just a really great system and none of the other Tiny Epics have uh, dethroned that for me. Uh, that's one that I really like. Um, I think that Tiny Epic Quest it was my second favorite. I still own both of those. I liked a lot of the ideas in Quest, but I think uh, Galaxies is my favorite. I haven't actually played it in a long time, but I do still own a copy of it. Reishi asks, what is the most excited game you look forward to playing with friends that are not online? Um, at the moment, 
it's probably just playing some of these cube rail games that I have in the house uh, and a couple that I've ordered that haven't quite arrived to the house yet. I've played a bunch of them online so far with um, some of my friends that are in my uh, actual local group. And I've also played a bunch of cube rails games with people um, across the world uh, through the magic of the internet. Um, so I'm quite curious and uh, looking forward to playing some of these in uh, real life. Uh, I just picked up a copy uh, or a set of iron clays, like a big set of those uh, money tokens so that I could use those in the games. And I know that some of the people I play games with are not going to be interested in these games. Uh, I know that uh, Jessica, my wife, will not enjoy them. I'm not even going to try to introduce her to those just because I know her tastes and it's not going to be her thing. Uh, but there are a couple of my friends who I think will be actively not interested in those in them because of the theme, but I think might actually enjoy them for the mechanics that I am looking forward to trying to get them to try, uh, considering these games are about an hour to play, usually maybe 90 minutes if it's one of the longer ones. It's not a huge time commitment, so... That's my uh, current excitement level is to maybe try to infect some of my other friends who have a, uh, a predilection towards this kind of gameplay to wanting to try these more because I'm still <laughs> really into playing them. Uh, uh, Raymond asks, is there a game that you really like but haven't played for a long time and feel sad about it? Uh, for my wife, it is Dungeon Lords. Uh, yeah, I am sure that I have some examples of that. Uh, well, Agra is a great game that's on my shelf. I haven't played that one in a very long time. Prodigal's Club is another one. Uh, I'm just trying to imagine uh, the part of my uh, shelf where, where uh, especially the kind of heavier games that I don't get to all that often that I really enjoy. Um, I would say Underwater Cities, but I did get to play that about two months ago. It had been like two years, uh, uh, two-year gap between playing that one. Same with A Feast for Odin. I played that one twice about two months ago, but then it was like two years in between since those plays. Um, so yeah, I guess... Agra is probably right near the top of that list at the moment. There's probably a couple other ones, but I'm going to stick with that answer. Uh, Tim asks, what is my favorite beer style and favorite beer? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I really like beer. I have for quite some time. And... I'm not like super nerdy about beers, if that makes sense. Like I've, I, I probably have a beer almost every night of the week, uh, but I almost never have more than one. It's just kind of a thing I like to have with dinner. Um, but my favorite kind of beers in general, uh, especially for just um, drinking, are English ales. Uh, and they're really hard to find <laughs> out here in California. It bums me out. Every time I go to the grocery store, it seems like 80% of the beer aisle is various IPAs. And IPAs are fine. I've had hundreds of them. I've tried tons of different types. And they rarely blow my socks off. But in general, I, I enjoy them. I get enjoyment from them. But I'm kind of sick of them being so... Uh, prevalent all over the place. Uh, and so like uh, Fuller's London Pride is a London ale that I love, um, that I've really enjoyed every time I could get a, a chance to try it. Um, I do also love Guinness, which is one of those ones that I can find at most grocery stores. Um, one beer that is very hard to find that is way better on uh, tap than it is in like a bottle is Old Speckled Hen. That is right up there with my favorite beers, specifically if I can find it on draft. Um, I've had the bottled version before and it's just nowhere near as good. It's got this like sweet caramely taste with a bit of uh, the nitro head, but it's also like a beer you can see through. I really enjoy that one. Also, just in general, I like porters and I like stouts. Um, <laughs> I guess to a certain extent, I like most beers that 
are not IPAs. Again, I enjoy IPAs. I'm just kind of over it. And I'd be very happy if I didn't have an IPA for a while and maybe I could come back to it in 10 years or so. Uh, so yeah, I, I like a good variety. Um, also, sometimes I really like uh, Mexican style beers. Um, again, I'm not super knowledgeable about all the detailed uh, uh, names for the specific types, but uh, things like Corona, Pacifico, Sol, um, I really enjoy those if it's hot outside. So I like beer, different beers for different situations. Uh, and in general, I like a variety. Uh, we have a small mini fridge that is actually the mini fridge my sister got when she went to college for her freshman year back in 2003. Uh, <laughs> that was just her fridge that she used. And when she uh, left college, they were going to get rid of it, but I just took it on. And here we are like 18 years later, it's still going strong. And it's been my beer fridge for well over a decade. Um, and we just have it in our game room, actually. Uh, it's really convenient from a snacking perspective because when people come over with drinks, I just say, put it in the beer fridge. And then all my friends know that they could just take anything out of that fridge and not actually ask about it. It's just, if it's in there, then you take it. And I, I really like that situation. I have a hard time uh, seeing myself uh, not having a dedicated beer uh, fridge or specifically a communal drink fridge in the future. I mean, it wouldn't kill me to not have it, but I'm very used to it. And I think it's a great addition to a game room. Alyssa asks, what are the top three games that you usually use to get new people into the uh, gaming hobby? Well, if I'm being honest, it does not happen very often <laughs> as far as like trying to bring new people into the hobby. I can say as far as uh, games that I've used when I've been uh, playing games with um, groups outside of our gaming group, like playing games with um, various extended family, one game that we almost always uh, bring and that usually works out really well is Six Nymphed. Um Actually, I take it back. We always bring Six Nymphed because that game, it just, it just goes over well with people. Uh, that one and Can't Stop, I think are... The, the two best for that kind of situation because the rules are super simple. Uh, and specifically when it comes to six nymphs, there isn't even downtime and you can play like six or seven people all the way up to 10 technically. And everybody's making decisions at the same time. Everybody's flipping the cards over and groaning and cheering at the same time. Um, six nymphs never uh, disappoints. <laughs> so uh, that's one that we definitely uh, go for. And yeah, I don't really see that one changing too much. Can't Stop Again is great. Although sometimes... It could be a little bit um, downtimey as you watch somebody else rolling the dice a bunch, waiting for it to be your turn. Uh, but it's still one that seems to really pull people in with that crazy, addictive, well, I can't stop now kind of gameplay. Uh, that one's worked out really well. Hey, Dan's here from the Game Boy Geek. Welcome. <laughs> uh, he asks, uh, question, are you still happy with not doing reviews anymore? Uh, yes, Dan, I, I am. I am definitely happy about that, specifically not doing the formalized reviews. Uh, just for context, Gunga's game started off as a review channel. Uh, for the first like eight months of the, uh, the making of videos, every video I made was reviews. I then started to dabble in vlogs and as, as well as playthroughs and things have changed over the years. And about three or maybe even four years ago, time is really going, um, I decided to stop formally making my reviews. Uh, I think I made well over a hundred of them and there's a lot of reasons why I stopped. And honestly, those reasons haven't changed. Um, it, it just took a lot um, of enjoyment out of the hobby for me. Uh, it made me feel like I had to play games that I didn't really feel like playing because, you know, I've only played it twice and I can't do an authoritative review off of that. So let's try to play it a third time with a new player account that I haven't tried before, even though I don't think I'm going to like it. And now I need to try to convince my friends to play this game that I'm already not sure about. And now I'm feeling like I'm being disingenuous if I say, yeah, it's fun, even though I'm not sure if it's fun. Or if I say, I'm not really sure if it's fun, my player, my, my friends are most likely going to say, well, let's play a game that you think will be fun because 
They're here to play games to have fun. Uh, there's lots of other reasons uh, why I stopped doing reviews, but I am still very happy with that. Um, to a certain extent, my reviews have lived on with the impressions vlogs, which I've been doing for years, and I've somewhat recently changed those even from impressions vlogs to good games vlogs, where I'm only talking about games that I actively enjoy playing. Uh, in my head, it's essentially games that would rank a 7 out of 10 or better on the Board Game Geek scale. Um, and the reason I made that change is similar to why I stopped doing reviews, because, you know, this industry is not gigantic, and I, I don't really like saying a bunch of negative things about games. Like a lot of uh, uh, viewers, people who watch this kind of stuff, like hearing super detailed, uh, very critical reviews of games saying, you know, these are all the problems, etc. And And I get that. I totally understand that. I watch some of that stuff as well. But as somebody who made them for a long time, I did not like how it affected things in the industry. I think if you want to be a um, truly objective reviewer, you kind of have to sit outside of the board game industry, off the periphery, you know, the board game industry's here and you are this media person off there and the games are kind of traveling over to you and you say the things uh, honestly that you think and this will have various impacts and that's fine. But my dream for a very long time has to been is to uh, live inside that bubble, inside the board game industry itself. Uh, part of that is happening with me writing rule books and doing proofing and all that kind of stuff. Part of me also wants to do development. And I hate to say it, but I definitely had some souring um, relationships with various people in the industry when I was a little too honest about the issues that I saw in games. Um, that's part of the reason why I've changed to doing good games vlogs, because I just don't have it in me to be overly critical and negative about games uh, anymore. It's just not a thing I enjoy. It's a thing that's, you know, also affects the bottom line, which, you know, is a reality I have to deal with. And uh, so, yeah, just a lot of things that come together. Um, and I definitely respect everybody who still does reviews like you, Dan. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think some people are much more called to it and enjoy that um, than I did specifically. And I didn't really figure out what I wanted to do until I tried a bunch of things. And just because I started off with reviews um, wasn't good enough for me to uh, stick around with it for Forever. So I hope that was a good answer. <laughs> uh, Alec asked, when scheduling game nights, either live or online, do you find that one person tends to initiate most of the plans? How do your groups handle scheduling logistics? Um, yeah, it's changed over the years. Uh, a long time ago, like 10 or 11 years ago, um, all the game nights were at um, board game stores, and it was just a thing that the, the store hosted. So Tuesday night you went there, Thursday night you went to this other place because board game store was hosting it. Uh, then for many years, we actually had a rotating thing um, uh, within a group of our uh, friend group. So like three or four houses that we kind of rotate the game nights for, through. So those people organized. Um, for many years, um, myself and my wife have been kind of primary organizers to a certain extent. And a few years, years ago, the local board game cafe, Victory Point, started doing Monday night game nights. So that definitely changed the scheduling for us. And we started playing a lot of board games on Monday nights because, again, a brick and mortar store was hosting game nights at that spot. So it does vary. Um, uh, amongst our group, we definitely have many people who actively try to schedule things. And I am one of those people and lots of people who just kind of go with the flow with, with wherever they are invited. So I think it changes over time and it's going to be different for every group. Uh, but definitely I, I like being the proactive person because playing board games is one of my favorite things to do in this life. So <laughs> I tend to try and make it happen as uh, much as is realistically possible. Uh, David asked, uh, I know you have been writing rulebooks quite a bit recently. Any games with great rulebooks that you take inspiration from? Uh, that's a good question that I don't have a good answer to. <laughs> uh, I I mean, honestly, I take inspiration from the thousands of rulebooks that I've read over the last 10 years. Um, 
it's a funny thing about, um, well, I guess just grading things to a certain extent, bad things tend to stick out more than good things <laughs> just in general, but also with rule books, like when a rule book is bad, it just feels bad. You're like, I don't understand. I have all these different questions versus when a rule book is really good. Sometimes I'll think, oh, wow, that happened to be a good rule book. I don't have any questions. That's surprising, but it's less of a impactful thing in my mind. So I don't have any great examples to tell you. Um, honestly, I don't even have any great examples of awful rule books that stick out in my head as well. I think I just read so many of them that they just kind of flow through my brain. I mean, I read many rule books every single week. Um, <laughs> uh, there definitely do seem to be uh, publishers who put out uh, consistently better rule books than other publishers. But um, again, I say that and then I have a hard time coming up with the examples on the top of my head. Usually I'm reading a rule book and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, that was again one that, that I had no problems with. Um, so yeah, sorry, I, I don't have a very good answer for you. Uh, realistically, the inspiration I take is just a kind of sixth sense for what feels right, just after seeing a lot of trial and error in other rule books that have been written, as well as the issues that I've already had with the rule books that I've written. I've, I've tried to learn from that, even though I'm still relatively new into that process. Dashfang asked, are you still doing event lighting or have you uh, gone full-time on board game videos on YouTube? You definitely have a unique set of talents for the latter. Thank you for your work. Uh, that's a very interesting, timely question because just this last week, I worked my first event job in like eight or nine months, uh, effectively since the pandemic started. Uh, there were a couple of very tiny shifts, I think two, four to five hour shifts that happened over the course of the last 12 months. Um, but for the most part, the event industry has been in hibernation because of COVID. Uh, but things are starting to change here in California as the vaccination rates are getting very high. Um, some of the uh, ordinances are changing and events are definitely coming back in a pretty big way. Uh, so yeah, just last weekend, I worked um, the, the all day the Friday and all day the Saturday. So I had a little bit of a abbreviated uh, John Gets Games work week. And it was really great to see my coworkers again. Uh, I, I've worked uh, at that place since 2009. So many of the people that I got to see specifically last Saturday are people that I've been working alongside for, you know, one to 13, 14 years. So that's a lot of catching up. I mean, I know a lot of these people really well. Uh, I've seen them, you know, form relationships, break relationships, get married, have kids. Like you form long bonds with people when you work alongside them that often. And in the event industry, we are usually, you know, coming to the office to jump in a truck to then drive, you know, 20 minutes to maybe even two hours to a job site. So we spend a lot of time in the cab of a uh, box truck, just talking about our lives. So I know a lot about these people and it was just wonderful to see them. It was nice to also get a little bit of exercise, pushing things around and carrying things. I was very careful to not um, hurt myself because my brain remembers being a lot stronger than I am now after a full year of essentially just sitting in chairs here in this studio. Um, so I am full-time with John Gets Games and that isn't going to change. I told um, my event industry job that I am hoping to maybe work up to three days a month for them mostly just for the novelty factor for me so that I could see people I like get out of the house a little bit, do something uh, uh, novel, um, you know, one day-ish a week, not every single week. I'm probably more hoping to work about two days a month, which does not add up to that many days overall, but it's still better than nothing. And I'm really happy to see that a lot of my coworkers that I care about are starting to actually be employed again as events are starting to pick back up. Uh, Chrissy asks, how do you decide whether or not you will back a Kickstarter game what games did you back, if any, since your last vlog? Um, 
in general, there's, I mean, there's various things to consider. A big one is the price point, And another one is just how excited I am to try that specific game. Um, I do tend to try and not back games if I, if I run into any hesitation, if that makes sense, because there's just so many games to play. And I am in a different position where I get a lot of games sent to me. So there's a lot of options to play a lot more than the average board gamer, I'd say. Um, so if I'm looking at a Kickstarter and I'm not totally sold on it, then I usually say, well, I'm not totally sold then I'm not going to worry about it anymore. And I'm not going to back it. Um, as far as projects that I have actually supported recently, let's see here. Um, I did very recently back Rivet Heads, and that um, brings me to one reason why I will potentially back a game, and that is it has to do with how how easy it'll be to try it in the future, and uh, based off of the price point, if I'm interested in supporting the publisher. Uh, Rivet Heads is being published by New Mill Games, which is a uh, publisher uh, house of two people who have full-time jobs who are doing the board game publishing on the side. Uh, one of them is Daniel Newman, who I have done some playtesting for and I've interacted with online. He seems like a great guy, and uh, the game looked interesting enough with a small enough price point for me to say, yeah, I'm going to give this one a shot. I'm going to support that campaign and help make it a reality. It was a campaign that didn't look like it was for sure going to hit its uh, uh, threshold to actually uh, fund. And it's definitely not one of those campaigns where the threshold was, you know, arbitrary. It seemed like they actually needed that to make it happen. Uh, so sometimes I will uh, uh, factor that in as well, although that seems to be somewhat rare these days. Uh, Smallotry asks, what are your opinions on collectible card games like Magic the Gathering, Netrunner, and Hearthstone? Uh, well, my personal opinions at this moment are that I have no interest in getting into collectible card games, although I do enjoy some adjacency. And I think a big part of that has to do with my history. Um, back when I was in high school, a very long time ago, <laughs> in the late 90s, uh, I got very much into uh, Magic the Gathering. And honestly, when I was in middle school in the mid-90s, I got really into the Star Wars collectible card game. I was obsessed with Star Wars in the mid-90s. Uh, read all the books and everything. So when the collectible card game came out, I bought a bunch of them, well, you know, with allowance. Honestly, you know, my parents bought most bought, bought a bunch of them for me. Uh, many of the kids in my class played, and I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I honestly stopped playing the Star Wars collectible card game when I had a experience that pulled me out of the game, where I did a trade with one of my friends in school. And I went to a very small school where there were about 25 kids in each of the classes, and I think I was in 7th grade or 6th grade at this point, and I did a trade with my uh, a couple of my cards for a really good card they had. I remember um, I had the IG-88 card, which is a droid, battle droid, assassin droid, and a friend of mine got the IG-88 blaster, so I traded with them, and then I had it. So I had the droid and the its blaster, and it had a great combo together, and before the day ended at school, somebody... I don't know who went into my backpack and stole the cards out of my backpack. And that devastated me. And honestly, I never really played the game after that. It was a very, um, uh, it, it was a moment that taught me about loss to a certain extent, you know, because I was so into the game and I just loved the experience. And then suddenly being like, oh, you know, people can be terrible to each other. <laughs> uh, and uh, I never really came back from it. I ended up uh, trading off the rest of my cards. And a couple of years later, when I was in high school, I really fell into Magic the Gathering for several years. Um, this was specifically around like 99 to 2000. And uh, almost every lunch break in high school, me and like 15 other people would meet up in the science lab and we would just play Magic the Gathering all lunch break while we're eating our sandwiches and then we'd finish up and go back to school, uh, go back to classes. And I loved that. Um, so much to the point where, you know, I played online with some very janky online implementations that people made where you had to like 
share your IP address across um, AOL Instant Messenger to make the connection. It was <laughs> it was some silly times. And I spent a lot of time doing deck building. I loved doing the deck building and I had all my cards on my computer so I could do some deck building with some programs. Um, all that being said, I fell away from magic uh, as I left college, as, as I left high school. And I never really got back into those because they just took take so much time, so much of your brain power. I mean, there was a time around 99, 2000, where I knew every single card that was in Magic. And Magic was like six or seven years old at that point. And if you told me any card name, I could tell you everything about it, except for the flavor text, like the mana cost and all the effects and what set it came in. I really dug deep. And that takes a lot of your brain space. And um, so these days, I don't have that kind of attention span. I'm also much more interested in a broad variety of gaming experiences than going super hard on one specific thing. But I do watch Hearthstone content on YouTube essentially every single day. And that leaves me somewhat adjacent to a collectible card game experience. It lets me watch very good people at these card games, pull off all of these cool combos and have great games while I'm eating my breakfast. And then, you know, after that, I turn it off and I go on with my day. So I, I do, to a certain extent, still exist in the collectible card game uh, uh, space. Um, I know a lot about Hearthstone. <laughs> Most of the Hearthstone cards, uh, especially ones that have been around for a while, if you tell me what it is, uh, the name, I'll probably be able to tell you exactly what it is and potentially the uh, mana cost, even though I haven't played a game of Hearthstone since probably 2014, uh, just because I enjoy watching the videos. So that was a very long answer to your question. But uh, yes, I have a history with collectible card games and I, I still manage to keep them uh, in my life in a way that is sustainable for me. Um, all right. Well, I think at this point I've wrapped up all of the questions. And so I think I'm going to wrap up this vlog. Um, thanks again to everybody who decided to join in uh, this month. I'll be doing another one of these next month and I will announce the date and time for that in the update vlog. That should be about a week uh, prior to that. And um, it's possible that I'll actually do more live videos this month. Uh, I'm hoping to maybe get a live good games vlog in. I haven't done one of those live before, but I'm hoping to play some games and then talk about those. And I might do another live top 10 list. So keep your eye out on the subscription feed. I'll try to put a notice in a day or two before any of those things happen. Uh, so yeah, that is going to bring this one to a close. Uh, thanks again to everyone who is watching this live as well as watching this one later on.